0: Psalms to God, Season Two, Episode Twenty Nine: Christianity and the Government. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.psalmstogod.com. But the Lord told him, "Listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you; they have rejected me as their king." First Samuel, Chapter Eight, Verse Seven, CSB. Hey guys, welcome back to the Psalms to God podcast. This is your host, Re, and today I want to talk to you guys about the government. Um, and you know, maybe we'll touch a little bit on voting. I'm not sure how far in we're gonna get, um, before it's just way too long of an episode. Uh, and we might end up breaking it up into multiple episodes. I don't really know. We're just gonna go with it and see what happens. Um, essentially. You know in recent years i guess i have done a lot of soul searching on this topic um, mainly because of the mayhem that has been erupting in our country and you know i had my own opinions about voting and the election process and the electoral college that were based on what i was seeing But I never had conversations with people about it from a biblical standpoint or from a Christian standpoint. And as things started to happen and people started to claim that they were voting for Trump because they were Christian and, you know, people started to bicker back and forth and people started to judge, quote unquote, Christianity based on Trump and all of these other things. I was like, wait a minute, wait, wait, hold up pause, stop, what is happening, right? And I wanted to look into what the Bible actually says about our government, what the Bible actually says about our leaders and what it means to be a good leader and what we should be looking for you know, if we are gonna go out and vote for a candidate or endorse a candidate. And I think it's a tragedy um, in the modern organized religion. Um, I'm not gonna call it a church, guys, we did that episode a while back, these organized religions and institutions and buildings um, and people who talk at these buildings, um, a lot of times they don't talk about politics at all. And a lot of that has to do with 501c3 status. Um, We're not going to go off on that tangent, but a lot of them are suppressing information in order to get money or to get tax breaks or whatever. And that is the opposite of what God told us to do. The root of all evil is the love of money, okay? Loving that money that you're getting or loving the money that you get to keep because you get a tax write-off or you get a tax break because you have 501c3 status is not of God, okay? I'm not saying you can't get a break, but if it comes at compromising the word of God, you need to cut ties with it and go ahead and pay them dollars. Like, that's just what it is so luckily this podcast does not have a 501c3 status i ain't getting no money and nobody paying me i don't have to worry about offending anybody because it doesn't matter so i'm just going to tell you what god put on my heart and i'm not concerned about it so what i've noticed is in every single uh church community that i've been a part of there is a string a way of talking about politics now i will say When you go to a black church, I don't know if this is true for segregated white churches. If y'all talk about this, because obviously as a black person, I've never been into a segregated white church. But in churches that have a you know 100% black um, congregation, when I was growing up, these are things that did get talked about. Right, the black church was a pillar of the community. Um, Marches started there you know education was taught there like everything that that happened happened in there i mean even looking at somebody like martin luther king he was reverend martin luther king reverend dr martin luther king he was also a pastor now we're not gonna get too deep into that because we're gonna get into some other things too but in general like there was not this separation of political ideology and the church because To be honest, if you're claiming to be a Christian, if you're claiming to be of God, your political ideology should be shaped by your faith, right? I think we should help people who cannot help themselves. But that's also because God told us that we should help the fatherless, the widows, the aliens, right? A lot of my opinions about immigration, about child welfare, about... Who should, you know, get getting food to people that otherwise wouldn't have food, about taking care of our um, mentally ill brothers and sisters, about treating people fairly and making sure all people have access to the basic rights of humanity. Those things are shaped by the fact that I believe in a God that believes in that, right? I believe that God wants us to love our neighbor, therefore. From a policy standpoint, I want us to love our neighbor, right? These are shaping the beliefs that lead me to vote this way or that way, right? At least they should be. You should not be voting for things that are against what you fundamentally believe in. That's That doesn't really make sense. And so when you look at the church, a lot of times it's not even so much as, Oh, you know, they won't endorse this candidate or that candidate. I'm not even necessarily saying they should do that, but we don't really start talking about those policies. Like, I've like the hot topics I feel like today that the government is talking about things like universal health care, things like abortion, things like immigration, um, even topics such as, you know, the LGBTQ. I, a, plus, I'm plus. i just going to use plus, um, community and their rights. I've yet to hear a sermon about any of this at a church. Um, people are like, oh, those are hot topics. They, they press on people's buttons. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to offend people in our crowd, um, and we're just going to shy away from it. We're going to let you believe what you want to believe, right? people typically don't get into that conversation but the church is where we should be having that conversation that's where we should be talking about okay well what what does this mean right what do we believe and how does that affect the world around us and if we're going to say that we're pro-life how does that transfer into every aspect right okay i don't i don't okay maybe i don't want you to kill your baby um, that's not born, but once the baby is born, who's gonna take care of it? How are we going to create programs to make sure that that child has the same opportunities as a child that's born to two parents or two loving parents? Or um, how do we make sure that they get the health care that they need? Because some children are born, um, you know with, with health problems or that you know their parents don't have any money. Or their parents don't want them and they end up in the foster care system and that ends up poorly, or they end up in abusive homes. Like it's the whole lifespan, right? We have like we have to also talk about these things. And we have to talk about what that means like, okay, if you're gonna vote this way, we also need to vote this way because this is what the whole picture looks like, right? We need to talk about like, okay, and I, I mean, I talked a little bit about healthcare there. Like, what does it mean for everybody to have access to healthcare? What does it mean for us to provide for our neighbors and, and, and to be concerned about them? Where is this line of, I don't believe this is okay, I think this is a sin, but what should be legal and illegal in our country? Um, all of these conversations, you know, we don't really have these conversations. It's just kind of left. To the imagination so you you know that you have this stance about this you think this is a sin but then you don't think any further of it you just condemn it because it's a sin and then you also start condemning the people when you know it's not like this sin is worse than that sin or something like that and that's when you start getting these fanatical people and the trump supporters essentially because you have a whole lot of people who are voting for trump because he's anti-abortion right And it's like, but what else? Like he's, I mean, he's also, you know, a misogynist, he's a racist, um, you know, he's a liar. Like we we could go on this list forever. And it's like, wait, how do we get in the situation where people who are claiming to be Christian are claiming to be Trump supporters because they're Christian, not just, oh, I like him. Or not of self-interest, but like they're literally claiming that this is of God when it's not of God. And it's clearly not of God if you look at a Bible. You don't have to read much to understand that it's not of God. And that's because they're not having the conversation in the church. And that bothers me deeply. Um, And so I, I wanted to kind of look at it myself as I've been telling y'all study for yourself don't rely on a pastor to get you to heaven because you won't get there I'm just I'm just gonna be honest you're never gonna get there if you're relying on your pastor so I started doing some studies and I'm still digging in which is why I think this might end up being like a two-part episode or whatever but I started off trying to look at what government looked like from god's standpoint um what did god institute when given the opportunity to institute a government what did it look like what did he tell us like there's no way he just left us down here with no instruction whatsoever about how to govern ourselves and one of the first things I, I noticed is that they don't really start talking about nations until after the tower of babel right if you go pre-flood there is no talking about this at all. Once you get post-flood, it really just goes almost straight into um, the Tower of Babel and then you get the Table of Nations where these different tribes kind of went off on their own. Um, Or is that right before the Tower of Babel? I'm not sure, they're all kind of tied together. I think that might be right before the Tower of Babel, but whatever, people started to spread out and these These tribes and nations were based on lineage. So, you know, my ancestors, you know, I'm I'm from the Hughes clan, and so you know, the Hugheses went off in this direction, and then we ended up in Hughesville, and um, that was our territory, right? And that's kind of how these different areas started to pop up, just like Israel. all of them descended from Jacob, who was called Israel. um, And it was a, it was basically a tribe, or a group of tribes, it was a a family unit. Um, And then it just grew and grew and grew. And that's basically how these little nations started. Um, But, and so, you know, generally going back, they're all related to each other, even though they're in these different groups. But then of course, because man is the way man is, there were skirmishes between them, right? So like Jacob had his issues with Esau. Esau had his issues with Jacob. So then you see their descendants, the Israelites and the Edomites, they didn't get along with each other either because there's a history of, of, of animosity between these people. And that's kind of what propelled into now. And even if you look at the history of certain countries that are very old, a lot of these conflicts between peoples are ancient conflicts. They've been there since, you know, the beginning of time, some of these people can't even articulate probably why there's a conflict. Some of them can. But, you know, that's how, you know, nationalism and all of these things started to come. They're all basically a result of sin. And so the government that God actually instituted is modeled first in, 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 in Israel, so he goes to Egypt, he has Moses bring them out, they're in the wilderness, and God sets up the kingdom or the nation of Israel. And what he sets up there uh, is very similar, I guess, to what he set up in the garden, but you know, with more people. Um, and, and it's very interesting, because what he does is he gives Moses all of these commands and ordinances. You can think of that as being like, the Bill of Rights, or the amendments, or the Constitution, right? He tells, he tells Moses, this is how I want you guys to operate. This is what I want you guys to do. Um, and if you go in and you read like Leviticus and, and things like that, you'll see that a lot of it is what to do in this case. Like if two people have a dispute over property, if they have a dispute over, you know, your ox knocked over my fence or whatever, um, this is how you solve it. This is what you should do which is a lot like what our law books are today. It says, like, if you commit this crime, like, this is a crime. If you do this, this is what the punishment should be, right? It's the same thing. If I have a dispute with my neighbor, I think you owe me money. I take you to court. The judge looks at it and says, you know, this is what you owe or, or no, they don't owe you anything. You're being unreasonable. And this is essentially what was set up in Israel. And When Moses first set this up, people came to Moses. Moses was that judge. He was basically the representative that God had left on, you know, physically for, you know, executing these laws or implementing them. And so this was a burden. And eventually, Moses reformed this so that there were multiple people taking part in the process. So he created you know, kind of, I don't want to call them lesser judges, but judges that had like smaller territories. So he would set people over like a a small group, tens, twenties, you know, of people. And then he would set another judge that would be over maybe like a hundred people or 200 or 400, whatever the number was. And then there would be like another judge above that level that would be over like thousands of people. And you know as the cases got progressively harder they would go to these different judges until eventually if it was just too difficult for these other people it would come to Moses now that should sound familiar because that's how our court system works if you have an issue you would first try to resolve it you know among yourselves um, and if you couldn't, you would take it to your local court, which would be like your city court or something like that. Maybe your county court, depending on the size of your your city and your county. And then if you still can't get it resolved, it would go to the state courts. And if the state courts couldn't resolve uh, resolve it, it might go to a federal court. Eventually, you know, the highest court being the Supreme Court. And so you you know it just goes up the line until it gets solved. That is what the initial system looked like. Now what's interesting is, so this this model is given in Exodus chapter 18, and it's interesting because as they go through this and as they start making the suggestion, um, there is an outline given for what these judges should look like or what they should behave like. And there are basically Three criteria. There's kind of like a fourth one that's implied, um, but the three that are explicitly stated is that the person is supposed to fear God, love truth, and hate covetousness. So essentially it's supposed to be a God-fearing person, somebody who has submitted their life to God and is allowing God to be the leader, a um, a person who loves truth, that means an honest person, and a person who looks for the truth in every situation and values honesty. And then, of course, hating covetousness means a hatred for greed, a hatred for people trying to take things that don't belong to them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, this fourth thing that I say is kind of implied but not explicitly stated is that they're supposed to have a knowledge of the ordinances like it talks about how that Moses will teach them the ordinances and things like that because they in order to um you know implement the law in order to judge based on the law you have to know the law and so if you you look at that in modern times this means that you want leaders who recognize that there is a higher power they're not there following their own self-interest and their own self-desires they're following the the authority of god you want people who are lovers of truth honest people people who value honesty around them you want people who are not greedy who are not going to try to take bribes who are not going to take from the poor and give to the rich or even take from the rich and give to the poor like you you want people who are going to be fair um and and that are are You know, not seeking, like I said, this whole greed and covetousness behavior. They're going to stare away from that. They're going to keep people from that um, out of their circles, stuff like that. And then, most importantly, they're going to understand the law of the land. They're going to understand the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Um, You know, not to be, uh, not to put words or thoughts into your head, but. Our current president does not fit this bill. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not. We're not gonna. We're not gonna tap toe tiptoe around that. He doesn't understand the Constitution. He doesn't know what he can and cannot do. He tries to do things he cannot do legally. Um, he does not love truth. He lies all the time, and he doesn't care about it. He, you know, he is in league with the covetous people of the world he is in league with greed and you know he may say that he's a Christian you know yeah people are like oh you shouldn't judge people's Christianity but based on his walk his walk does not speak or testify of God so you will know them by their fruits he is not bearing the fruits of God so I don't know what he believes I don't know you know what that is but if he does believe in God him and God need to have a conversation so that he can bear some good fruit and not the bad fruit so that is where we are in the beginning now that's not how Israel stayed Israel does not like the system and eventually they ask for a king so in 1st Samuel chapter 8 Samuel who is essentially the last judge um he's gotten old He is retiring, he has put his sons in his place and they are horrible people. They're taking bribes, they're um, ruling unjustly, they're not good judges. And the people see it and they call Samuel out and they're like, look, these men are not good men, they're not godly men, we don't want them, we want a king like the other nations. And so they say they want a king. Now when they say they want a king Samuel brings this up to God because he thinks it's a bad idea and God says it is a bad idea. Up until this point God has been king. God is king. God is supposed to be our king and they're saying they don't want God as the king they want an earthly king and so God goes into this whole thing about how they're rejecting him as the king. That is what's happening and God does not force them to keep him and I think that's think it's very important um the whole thing about free will god is very very much into free will and um you know it's a testament to him it says a lot about his personality and his character but it also explains why we get ourselves into so much trouble because he lets us do that of our own desire which is often problematic so god is like well you know just listen to them and i want you to give them this warning about having a king and then they still want a king, that's what we'll give them, right? So God gives Samuel a warning to give to the people about what a king will have right to. And God says that the king will have right to use the men for his chariots and for construction, constructing the chariots for his armies, that he will have the right to use the women as cooks, as bakers, as perfumers. Um, he says that the king can take land for himself and for his servants um, for whatever purposes that he wants that he can take a tenth of the harvest that he can take a tenth of the livestock or the servants and that he can even make the people his servants and you know you read through this and you're like yeah man this is why when we created america we didn't want to have a king we wanted to have a democracy But our American government is not so far off from this. The government has these powers. All of the rights that God warned them that the king would have, uh, our government has those rights. So they have what's called the draft. Um, Up until, I want to think 2015, I'm not positive. Um, I will put the correct date in the show notes. But... Recently, they signed something that makes women eligible for the draft as well. Starting at a certain year, women born after that date will also have to ri- register for the draft when they turn 18. But as of right now, men who are 18, you're supposed to register, um, you know, uh, for this for the selective service or whatever. And if there is a war, they can draft you into the army against your will and they will use you. For, um, for this fight, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, whether you even have enough information to know if you agree or disagree with the fighting. Um, and even within that, in a wartime situation, the government has the right to kind of um, conscript certain services for the army. So um, if you make a, a particular product that they need, you can't make this for the general public anymore you need to make it for the army all of your efforts need to be made for for the war um you know they may take resources and the the general public will have to ration what's left because we're taking the bulk of this for the military for the army and for fighting the war this is how government works this is how wartime efforts work and that is the right of the government or the king there is also the, the fact that God warns them that this, this king will be able to take land for himself or for the, his servants or for whatever purpose he wants the land to be for. Um, this is called eminent domain in modern speech, and it happens all the time in the United States. I've seen it happen in my own hometown. Um, they you know, they want to build a highway, and they need this particular area for the highway and there's, there's a house there or there's, you know, land there and they want it. So most of the time what I've seen happen is that they will offer those people some amount of money, but it's usually not what the land is worth. It's not the right value, but you don't really have a choice because it's not like you can sell it to anybody because the government's about to take your land. So you either take the, the chump change that they're offering you and, and, and leave or you try to fight them. But if you lose the fight, then they're just gonna take your property and you get nothing. And then they build their highway there. Um, this happened when I was younger to a couple of neighborhoods. Um, they're actually in the middle of a fight for this now, um, a little bit further away from my neighborhood. Um, they, I mean, you don't actually own that property. And even outside of eminent domain, when you buy property, you pay for it, sure. But even after you've paid for it, whether you had a 15-year mortgage, a 30-year mortgage, whether you paid for it in cash, it doesn't matter because you still owe taxes on it. And you have to pay those taxes every year. And if you don't pay the taxes, the government will take your land, okay? Because you didn't pay the taxes. So it's not yours anymore. It was never yours to begin with. That is how our, our world um operates right now and, and you know even further in the US you can't build on your property without permission it's not yours you don't own anything the king does the king being the government and so you know like I said about taxes God also warns them about taxes he says that this king can take you know a tenth of their harvest a tenth of their their livestock their servants whatever okay most of us maybe we don't have livestock or or uh farms or whatever the way they did in israel's time but you get a paycheck and the government is taking money out of your paycheck every month or every week whatever you get paid every check you get they're taking their cut you don't even get to see it right it's not like you get to hold it and then give it back to them you they take it out before you even see your check right this is the same thing God said that the king would have the right to do. Our government has the right to do that. And, you know, last but not least, he says that the government or the king has the right to make the people servants. And it's, it's interesting because after he says this, he goes on to say, when that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. And when I read through this and I was seeing the parallels and with what's happening today and I was reading that and I was like, oh, my goodness, Lord, I'm gonna need you to answer us on November in November like please do not let leave us hanging with what we have put ourselves into. Um, and it's like the whole concept is interesting because, what it is is that we like to take matters into our own hands. That's what happened here. Israel didn't like what was happening, so they wanted to take matters in their own hands, and they asked for a king. Now, they could have said, Samuel, fire your sons and put new judges in place of them because those judges are not good. But they wanted to totally change the entire structure. Um, but regardless of that, we were they were at a situation that we're at now. A lot of people are talking about the lesser of two evils. They had two evils, okay? The judges that were ruling, that were coming after Samuel, they weren't good. They weren't good judges. And then they have this opportunity to have this king. The king, well, they didn't know who the king was gonna be. Maybe the king was a good guy, maybe he wasn't. But God was saying, you know, but be careful, these are the things that the king can do. The king will have the right to do this. Doesn't mean that the king had to. It says he can. He doesn't have to take your men as 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 a servant he doesn't have to take your land but he can right and so they decide we're gonna go with the lesser of these two evils and we're gonna choose a king right and i'm not saying that actually was the lesser of two evils i don't know which one was the lesser of two evils i'm just telling you what they what they probably thought and what they decided now in the aftermath they chose a king they chose saul and saul ruled for a while but then saul went crazy Um, Saul lost his mind he became like possessed by a demon or so a demonic spirit took hold of his his mind and caused him to to act out and and do crazy things and then David rose as a king now David is is widely accepted as a great king and he did a lot of great things but he also did bad things I mean he went and stole a man's wife and then had the man killed while he was fighting in the army again back to this list he took the woman He conscripted the man into the army and he put him on the front lines to die. Like that's, God told him that's what a king can do. And that's exactly what the king did. Then, you know, you had Solomon come after him. Solomon built the temple, but the temple was built by the people. Um, Yes, Solomon oversaw the construction of it. But the people became increasingly frustrated because all that money, all that splendor came from somewhere. It was theirs and they used it to create the temple he you know he kind of forced people into labor um, and people were a little you know it, it caused a little bit of tension and that tension was exacerbated when Solomon's son took over and instead of kind of backing off and trying to balance out what was going on he doubled down and made it worse and then they basically had a civil war and the country split in two so Israel actually only had three kings before they be, before they basically split apart and kind of started the downward spiral into ruination the tribe of judah or the kingdom of judah in the south managed to stay for a little bit longer because they were they had kings that were chosen by god kings that were of god um whereas in the north they had these kings who had no respect for god no respect for god's law and you know they were just kind of doing their own thing and so eventually they got taken off by Assyria but even in the southern kingdom they ended up going into captivity in Babylon Um, they had a second captivity in I think Greece and then of course Rome overtook them until eventually they were just kind of stamped out. That's what happened when they took things into their own hands and You know, that's a depressing thought, right? Going into the 2020 election and seeing the parallels and seeing, you know, what we've kind of gotten ourselves into. It's very depressing. Um, And I I don't want to end the episode here on this note. I do want to add that there are plenty of verses in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, where God talks about the fact that he sets up the governments, that he allows governments to be there. There is no government existing that God did not allow to be there. It doesn't mean it's a good government, but God is still in control and God is king. Whether we accept him as our king or not, he is the king. Okay, make no bones about it. Um, There are verses in the New Testament that talk about praying for our leaders and praying for those who are in these positions of power, um, praying for those who are out there voting, praying for people to make the right decisions. And I think that this is, like I said in the beginning, this is where the church starts dropping the ball. We should be praying for our leaders. We should be praying for the people who are making decisions, and we should be talking about these decisions because then we wouldn't have ended up in the situation that we were in in the first place. Um, And so I encourage you to think about all of the topics that are on the table, all of these platforms that people are, are out here with. I don't want you to look at, am I a Democrat, am I a Republican, am I a Libertarian, whatever. Don't look at that. I don't want you to think about, what are they saying? Does it match up with scripture? Is it biblical? Is it what God would want? Would God want this in our country? Is this hurting people? Is it not hurting people? Like. What are the ramifications of this? If you do this, what is the consequence of it? And what will that be? And how will that look in a godly kingdom? These are the things we need to talk about. We need to look at the character of the people that we're putting in office, whether it's a president's office or whether it's a local office. Are they honest? right? Are they selfish or are they of God? Are they Are they out here running around with the covetous people? Are they greedy? Or are they really out here for the good of mankind? These are the types of things that we need to be mindful of. This is what we should be looking for when we're voting for people. And so those are some of the topics that I kind of jumped into as I was studying. Um, There's still so much more to go into um, I may come back to this topic later to talk about the act of voting itself. Um, there are there is definitely a split in Christianity about the the act of voting. Um, and I do kind of want to go into that some. But like I said, I don't want this episode to be too long, and I still have to do more studying on that topic in general. But I did want to come through and give like a little bit of history of governments in the Bible and what that looks like and how it parallels our government today. And I wanted to encourage you to get in your word and try to get a biblical basis for what you believe in for every political platform that you post about and claim a side on. Not just a superficial idea, but an in-depth understanding of what you're talking about. So. With that being said, I hope you have a great week and uh, I hope you you know I hope this brings some clarity to you. Um, and as always, I will have notes on the podcast, on the website www.samsguide.com. See you guys next week. Bye.